This is the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. In this next interview, I had the opportunity to speak with Jason Waugh, founder and director of The Circus Lab. What I want you to pay attention to is the importance that Jason places on listening to what his customers are asking him for. Despite the challenging economic time, Jason kept true to his roots of pivoting his business like he did when they initially founded by meeting the needs of his customers today so that he'd be around to serve them tomorrow. He goes on to share about some of the specific challenges related to delivering circus training online and how instead of trying to replicate value, they opted to supplement and treat this as a great opportunity to do something new. Let's dive in. Jason, welcome to the Entrepreneurs vs. Coronavirus podcast. Tell me a little bit about Circus Lab. For those that haven't heard of you, what do you do? Who are your typical customers? And, and what's the makeup of your, of your business? Yeah, absolutely. So we started several years ago, and the game plan was to start a circus school. A couple of us needed a place to train, and we figured, well, hey, you know what? If we, if we get this nice, big, beautiful building to train at, we probably should teach as well because although performing is fun and training is great, it doesn't necessarily pay the bills. So we started up with no business model. I believe the idea was to start in April, and by June we were fully operational. The expectation was definitely that we were going to have a lot of recreational students, students that just wanted to come in and try circus for an hour to a week, and then maybe hopefully get some of the, the more dedicated students that were really hoping to make circus a career. And we were definitely wrong because it turned out to be completely opposite. We ended up with a vast majority of the students wanting to train more full-time, more dedicated. We definitely do have recreational students that are just rocking that one to two hours a week. But I would say that we're split pretty 50-50 now, where we've got a large group of adults that are training full-time, and we've got those happy weekend warriors that are just coming in and jumping on the trampoline or climbing the soaks for an hour or two. So talk to me a little bit about how do you get into circus school? Like, what's your background that led you to decide that this was a career path or a business opportunity that you wanted to pursue? Yeah, absolutely. So I started off with gymnastics and gymnastics is great. It's the foundation of a lot of things that eventually worked into teaching at dance studios where I was teaching acrobatics. Same sort of thing, but instead of it being gymnast, I was working with dancers and as we did that, we started to see that it's a lot more artistic. There's a lot more art that's involved where gymnastics is very technical. I've been doing that for several years, and I had parents just constantly nagging me to open up my own studio. I'd never really wanted to make that my full-time gig, though, because I'm not a dancer and I've never been a dancer. I just liked the acrobatic parts of it. But as I trained a little bit more, I started to realize that throwing people around was, was a heck of a lot more fun than just going to that <laughs> conventional gym and lifting weights. So that's exactly what I did. I started training that and yeah, the rest is kind of history. Right on. And as far as the revenue model for the business, do you sell subscriptions or memberships? Is it one-time purchases? Do you run workshops? What does that look like? The, the biggest thing that we have is our sessions. That's going to be your, your winter session, your spring session summer session and then fall, the recreational students will sign up for that session. So they'll be training upwards to three months. The real meat and potatoes, though, are our students that are training full-time, and they're going to be committing not just for the year, but for multiple years. The expectation is that they're going to be coming back year after year, and most of those students that do pull the trigger and, and go full-time, they're training 
yeah, 15 to 20 hours a week for the duration of their dance career, which is usually 11 years old, upwards to 18 years old. And then, of course, our adults who are doing our artist preparatory program. It's a postgraduate program, and this is for the adults out there that legitimately want to make a circus career, and they're training 20, 25 hours a week. Wow. And is that an accredited program? Are you partnered with any organizations to help facilitate that? Yeah, we, we can't let too much out right now, but right now we are talking with one of the major universities in British Columbia. There's, there's nothing on paper yet, but there is definitely a lot of chit-chat going around back and forth. Uh, obviously, this is a little bit on pause right now because of sure. this lovely virus, but we've been chatting right upwards to a couple weeks ago and they still want to continue this conversation. So if all goes well, fingers crossed, we will be with a major university in BC and we'll be in an accredited program. Wow, that's remarkable. So with your revenue, what portion of your revenue is repeat visit business versus someone coming out and saying, oh, I want to try this once and it ends up just being a one-time purchase for them? When we, when we take a look at our recreational base, which makes up, uh, as far as seats in the house here, they make up a couple hundred of our students, every session will have about 200 registered students, upwards to 220. You're gonna find about 75, 80% of them will not repeat the next session. And that's because they might be exploring things, they might go back to dance or gymnastics. You're gonna find that if they get into soccer or volleyball, that will end up taking priority. So there's definitely a, a constant fluctuation of new students coming in the door. And then for those that remain, they seem to remain for multiple sessions. Again, that's the recreational side, the more professional driven side. You're going to see that they're in here for four, five, six years or sometimes even longer. So let's talk about coronavirus. What were your immediate thoughts when coronavirus and COVID-19 started to hit the media and really what became all that you saw in the news? <laughs> well, I definitely was the, the guy who said, oh, come on, the flu's worse than this. I'm not sure why we're making such a big deal about it. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And I do have a background in trading stocks. And one of the things that I was taught and I always taught others was that it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's a matter of what the, the rest of the group thinks. So mm. it doesn't matter. The rest of the group thinks that this is a large and serious thing. And therefore it is. So my opinion kind of doesn't matter anymore. We're, we're all in house arrest and it's going to be like this. So definitely wasn't expecting it and definitely doing what we can to keep rocking what we can. So before this all hit, what was your biggest challenge as a business at that time? At uh, that time, it's a bit of a two-sided equation. One, we're always just trying to keep as many students in the door as we can. The, the second one is always looking for and adapting with our instructors. Our instructors are very specialized. This isn't the, the type of career where you can go through a stack of resumes and pick your top candidate. You're going to find that everyone who is an instructor is still performing, whether it's be Cirque du Soleil or any of the other large circus companies. So they're either on contracts or going to be on contracts where we need full-time instructors. So it's a bit of a game there, a lot of turnaround and a lot of just being willing to accept that we might only have an instructor for a couple of months or maybe a year. A bit of a transient workforce, it sounds like. Yeah, it's not, it's not ideal. And yeah, Vancouver isn't large for culture, sadly. So you're going to find that if any of the artists are residing anywhere for any amount of time, it's typically not Vancouver. So 
When did you begin to see a financial impact as a result of coronavirus and how did you pivot or were you able to adjust the work that you do to best adapt or to innovate? We definitely, a couple weeks ago, about two, three weeks ago, I couldn't say that the timing could have been any worse because we were just getting ready for our spring session. So we had two weeks of spring camp planned and we usually expect that revenue to help us get through the slower season. Obviously, that had to, had to go on hold. So we've lost some revenue there. We lost some corporate events because large gatherings were canceled. And yeah, so we kind of just sat quietly just to see what we can expect. And then obviously, as things started to really ramp down to gatherings, no more than 50 downwards to 25, down to five, we, we made the decision to go as virtual as possible. So that's really what we're doing now. This is our first week of virtual training. And the goal is that that's going to be enough to keep us afloat. So let's talk a little bit about the virtual training. What does that actually look like as far as delivery goes? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked that we've got some passionate instructors that are willing to volunteer their time because in order to deal with the brick and mortar type structure, our building, our lease, our rent, our insurance, we still do need to make up a, a very large amount of money where on the virtual side, if we were strictly virtual, we wouldn't have that overhead. But knowing that we do, we've got a lot of stuff from Pilates to yoga to conditioning and stretching, as well as some other stuff that's juggling partner acro and and whatnot. It's great, and it's definitely enough to keep people busy and and moving, but it isn't fully and 100% what we are, which is circus and acrobatics, where it's supposed to be larger than life. We're supposed to be climbing silks that are 30 feet high and bouncing off the trampolines and whatnot. So we're doing what we can and we're, we're definitely giving a great value right now, but we know that everybody else is really just going to be using this as a, as a means to keep themselves busy until we can open up again. So is that a subscription then, or how are you generating revenue right now? We took a look obviously to see what other competitors are doing in the, in the field, because obviously now we're not just competing with, local businesses were competing with the global scale just because this is virtual. And the one thing that we noticed was a lot of different people were offering a la carte services. So if you wanted to do yoga, you'd go to this person. If you wanted to go to do handstands, you'd go to that person. We really just made a a one-stop shop. So you can pay a one-time fee per month and you'll have access to all of the material. And with that subscription model, then, are you, have you actually been able to, to attract any new customers through that? Or has it just been your existing customers that are using that as an opportunity to stay connected and, and to continue to support the business? I'd say that 95% of what we have right now is our existing database. A lot of our students that are, are willing to continue to pay their tuition and use this as a, as a holder. But definitely we're starting to do a lot more marketing, a lot more advertising outside of our network because we are going to be expecting and hoping for a larger student base from students that have not worked with us previously. Okay, so let's talk about the time horizon. Jason, if this crisis persists beyond six months, what do you see as your biggest challenge? And obviously there's lots of timeframes that have been thrown out there from more aggressive to, to more conservative. What do you see as your greatest challenge as this continues forward? I would say the, the biggest challenge moving forward is continuing to hold the brick and mortar structure in place so that we can open up those doors 
when that happens. So trying to navigate, working with the government, obviously, we're, we're keeping our ear out every day to see how things progress there. But the virtual model isn't something that we'll be able to sustain as a primary source of income for very long. Uh, it's definitely not the expectation. So you, you've mentioned a number of times the bricks and mortar side of things. So have you approached your landlord? Has your landlord been helpful at all through this time? You know, I, I wish I could say that our landlord has, but I mean, he's got his bills just like the rest of us do. And sure. a lot of the expectations that we're, we're looking forward to, whether it be mortgage deferrals and whatnot, they seem to be only for residential properties hoping that's mm-hmm. going to change, hoping that we'll, we'll see that move into commercial side as well. So what's your biggest challenge today as you're adapting and, and have just launched this new online platform? The biggest challenge right now is obviously we're, we're now no longer a niche service in our small little community. We're one of many services that are in the, the global side. And I would say the biggest struggle yet is there's a lot of a lot of people that think they're being helpful right now and they're offering services for free. And that's just going to be hurting for those of us who are trying to continue to make a revenue stream because mm. when you can pay to go with us or get something else for free elsewhere, people will often just go for the, the lower price tag. And when it's free, how do you compete with that? So what's next for Circus Lab? Well, we're going to continue to rock as much as we can virtually and do our best to build up that subscription base. But one of the things that is super important to us is our community and our family. We've had students that have been with us for six or seven years, and we're going to continue to keep in touch with those students. If that means that we we're offering more stretching sessions or more yoga sessions, then that's what we're going to do. If they just want a place to get us all on the same Zoom session so they can all hang out with each other and, and just goof around for a little bit, then yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do as well. So we're keeping our ears open and and just waiting to see what the community wants from us so that we can give that to them. As an entrepreneur, we're always looking for opportunities in everything. How do you see this as as an opportunity or what do you see as your greatest opportunity right now as a business? Well, the greatest opportunity is to figure out how this online thing works. Because if we can figure this out and we can figure out a great way for this to be something that will supplement their in-person training, then it's something that we'll probably continue to give whether it's a means for tracking homework in between their sessions. And it's an opportunity then also for those students that can't train with us because they are out of city or out of province or out of country, a good way to stay connected with us as well. Jason, what would you say to those who are listening and maybe they're struggling in their business and they haven't found that way to pivot or to shift or to innovate within their space? What resources or suggestions could you make? I would say, as I said earlier, that I'm really just kind of keeping an eye on what my, my core group of students have been wanting, the ones that have been with us for six to seven years. It goes back to that 20-80 rule. Just really pay attention to what that 20% needs from you, and they're going to continue to support you through this. And obviously, with that model in place, you'll be able to attract new business because you're going to see that you're providing something that's clearly beneficial. Pareto's law. Love it. And I think, I think you hit on a really key point there, which is to listen to your customers. They're the ones that steer so many successful entrepreneurs as far as opportunity and business growth. And you mentioned that at the beginning where you thought that the vast majority of your revenue was going to be here and it ended up actually being over there. And I think that's a really important lesson 
to take away from this conversation is, is the opportunity to listen to your existing customers and the things that they're asking you for and to continue to find ways to support them. Yeah, I think it's really important to be consistent with what you're doing. But if you're so consistent that you're not able to make changes, that's potentially a problem. So definitely, if you're venturing off into new territory, have your policies in pencil, but definitely don't put your policies down in pen because you definitely need Mm -hmm. to find out what those customers or those family members want from you so that you can make new and better policies based off of that. I love that, Jason. Thanks so much for being on the show. What's the best way for people to reach out if they want to connect with you? Yeah, well, our website is definitely the the way to go. So info at thecircuslab.ca for our email, www.thecircuslab.ca for our, our website. And then similarly for Instagram and Facebook. Sounds great. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurs versus Coronavirus podcast with your host, Ryan Kononoff. For complete show notes and additional information, visit clearbridge.ca slash podcast. Ryan is the founder of Clearbridge Business Solutions. To find out how investing in technology can help your business, especially during uncertain economic times, visit lifewithclearbridge.ca. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ryan Kononoff. That's R-Y-A-N-K-O-N-O-N-O-F-F. Thanks for listening.